Mr. Pop. Dark. When the little birds are nesting, and I listen to them too, there's two lonesome people in the whole wide world. That's me and the man in the moon. Hello and welcome to Miskatonic University Radio, a podcast exploring fantasy flight games' Arkham Horror the Card Game. I'm Dane. I'm Dan. And I'm Ben. And today, we're giving the Innsmouth Conspiracy the good old send-off. Cracking the champagne on the side of the fish-people-filled, dilapidated dinghy, the Innsmouth Conspiracy, and wishing it a farewell. Wouldn't the, wouldn't the right metaphor be that we're, like, scuttling it or sinking it or something? I don't know, sea talk. I think Dane wanted to get the word... Cracking into huh? this as a pun. Huh? I think that's <laughs> so that was his goal with this <laughs> that whole sentence. I really I wish that the Kraken had had a whole scenario to itself instead of being sort of a very minor recurring character. But that's hey, that's okay. I mean, there's 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 a lot of fish in the sea, right? <laughs> that doesn't yeah. even, that doesn't even make sense, but it's okay. I don't know. There's a lot of fish in this campaign. That's for sure. I don't know. That, I mean, no no one no one could argue with that. Well, anyway. Let's include a big fat spoiler warning here, because if you're listening to this and haven't played the last four four action-packed scenarios four. of the Innsmouth Conspiracy, you might want to do so first. Or don't. We don't care. <laughs> we, we, we kind of do. As long as you come back and listen. Listen after you played it. If you... <laughs> so just, just to provide some context, um, in terms of how we're playing through Innsmouth, hmm. so Ben and I and our friend Colin had a three-player game going. With uh, Amanda, Dexter, and Sister Mary, and we finished it. And it went 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 pretty well. Ben and Colin died once. Other than that, we were very successful. <laughs> and then, additionally, the the three of us on the podcast plus Harrison did a four player playthrough, which we just finished recently. With um, was it Min, Dexter, Roland, and uh, Silas? And uh, that also, I feel like we just kind of steamrolled through it a little bit, but it was a, it was a good time. Yeah. And then I think Dan and I have also both played most of the campaign uh, with other friends. So yeah, I played uh, standard difficulty with Tony and Amanda with Harrison. Tony, I guess, on survivor mode, um, and we were just kind of wrecking it too. <laughs> but it's fun. It's enjoyable. Yeah, and so we've so we've we've each of us has played through it at least twice. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, let's get right into it. So we'll kind of break down each scenario, and uh, then at the end we'll kind of give our overall thoughts, I think. so. Just a reminder, so we, we already talked about the first half of it in an episode. I can't remember the number, but it was a couple months ago. So yeah. we're, we're just jumping in in, in scenario five and starting yeah. from there. Le- leaving off from Devil Reef, right? Yeah, so I guess if you haven't checked that one out, uh, search through our feed and find the, uh, what we call it, the ends of the conspiracy check-in or something. I mean, just just pick like a that. random episode and listen to it. They're all incredible. You can't go wrong. <laughs> Dan will Dan will do some post editing machine sounds and it'll say Miskatonic University Radio episode number sixty three. And I don't know what the number I can is. guarantee you, Dan's not going to do that. That's <laughs> well, all right. Far, far too lazy. Miskatonic University Radio, the podcast that if you listen to it at night, a ghost will come to your house and kill you. <laughs> Oh no! Wow! How did, oh, is this an episode of the Magnus Archives? I don't know. Kind of, kind of sounds like a little. Hey, bit. It sure is. Anyway, <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah. So the fifth scenario in this campaign uh, is horror and high gear, which I think was the one we were most looking forward to, based purely on the name. Yes. Tokyo Drift. 
<laughs> Starring Vin Diesel. So we're hot off the heels of our escape from Innsmouth. And now we gotta get in some cars and uh, race our way to a lighthouse. Hell yeah. That's the whole scenario. We're driving driving cars. Uh, but of course we're being chased by mobsters for some reason. And also uh, half fish people on motorcycles. Yeah. Peaking at a very historically correct 20 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, there's a couple of mechanics going on in this scenario. The The first one was a vehicle mechanic. We saw that in the last scenario where there was a boat. In this one, we have uh, one or two cars. Very similar. In this one, you kind of like basically want to stay in the car the whole time. Uh, I think there might be some encounter cars that can kick you out, and you can optionally get out, but uh, you're really motivated throughout the whole scenario to just kind of keep moving almost the entire time. Like a great man once said, if you ain't first, you're last. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. So, uh, so you're in the vehicles, uh, you got the two cars, you're driving along, uh, and then the other mechanic is the road mechanic, so the whole map is kind of, like, linear-ish, as in you're trying to move from the left side to the right side, but every time you spawn a new location, you put a, a certain number of road, uh, paths ahead of you, so it's like a fork in the road, or a crossroads, or whatever, those might be the actual names of the cards, I don't remember. So then you have to try to kind of pick which path you proceed forward on, because uh, trying to back up is basically impossible. <laughs> they didn't have that technology back then. You can do it, but it costs you a lot of actions, and probably crashes you into some enemies. So, the the scenario feels pretty high-paced, because you like are constantly trying to make decisions on whether you can move forward or not, and f- yell at whoever's supposed to get clues to pick up clues faster. <laughs> So that you can have a better chance of making the right decision, because I think some of the some of the locations to proceed forward, you need to spend clues to like avoid taking damage or horror, and some of them you can spend clues to like peek at the paths that lie ahead, so you can like try to figure out which is the correct path or, or the easier path um, to go forward on. Because there's like an easy path, and then there's a bunch of like long way around cards, which are like very nasty locations, that, like add doom and like slow you down for like a turn or two yeah i enjoyed that i think in this one collecting clues was kind of a representation of like the person sitting in the passenger seat like holding up a giant map and just trying to figure (laughs) out where you're going yeah yeah like it's it's very it's all happening very fast and uh you're just like trying to not guide the person who's driving down to like uh down into a ditch or something or a denny's yeah yeah, that's true. Well, you're trying that you're trying to conduct us to the good Denny's, not the bad creepy Denny's, right? Because that that's like the scariest location of the game. There was also the a, an encounter card that that like if you have like let's say road three, so you've got three unrevealed locations in front of you, and then you already peeked at one. I think there's an encounter card that like shuffles them all, right? Or there's a way that they can become shuffled again, so then you have no idea where you're going again. Is there was there that in this scenario? I don't remember. Yeah. Usually we like peaked and then like immediately moved. So maybe we never ran into that. Which um, to add to the flavor is hilarious because it's like, wait, just kidding. I was reading the map upside down. And then like, yeah. <laughs> and then you have to like spend clues <laughs> to do it again. Yeah, it's pretty great. And what was the other thing with the cars? Oh yeah, you could stop the cars or you could drive them faster. Vroom, vroom. So like if you really needed to stop because you needed to like gather, have a turn to gather clues or whatever you could. But it was action intensive because it's like an action to stop it and action to start it up again. Or you could, like, spend an action to draw an encounter card to move forward, which kind of, like, ups the danger. It's like, oh, we gotta go faster. And I think the timing of the scenario motivates you to do that a couple times. It's a pretty long road, not including the long way around cards, but the the actual path is, like, 10 or 15 or something that you have to go down. Yeah, so. you have to, like, shuffle the final objective into, like, the bottom X cards, right? It's kind of similar to the yeah. museum in Dunwich. 
Yeah, we've seen that a few times where you have to like go through a whole deck to get to the end, but I think there's like, you know, 15 cards or whatnot to get to that bottom part. Yeah, so so that that's pretty cool. Also, like, it's interesting, like, you have to pick a driver at the beginning of the scenario, and that can be pretty critical, because a lot of the... It's the driver's job is both to, like, spend actions to move forward or stop the car, um, but also, like, there's some encounter cards that are, like, give this encounter card to the driver, and they have to test it. <laughs> yeah, forgot about that. And if they fail, everyone in the car takes damage or horror or some other bad thing. Oh, yeah. Th- there's one that, um, it's, like, Harrison's favorite art. I can't see. And it's just this picture of this lady who's, like, just got this black stuff all over her face, and she's just, like, swerving. It's great. <laughs> yeah, there's a good selection of counter cards that are, like, thematic to, like, some crisis while driving. Um, <laughs> so those are all pretty cool. And then there's the enemies. are Their enemies are, like, guys in cars, or, as mentioned before, uh, fish people on motorcycles, or half-fish people. <laughs> Which is fantastic! Uh, fish people riding, like, a, a giant stack of fish people all riding the same tiny tricycle, kind of, like, stacking <laughs> each other's shoulders. <laughs> That was, oh, that was the scariest one. It, like an inverted triangle. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Throwing smaller fish at you. Uh, a squid person on a trapeze somehow. That doesn't really make <laughs> sense, but it was fine. Yeah. So the enemies were, were cool and scary, but I felt like if, if you get like a little bit ahead of them in the scenario, then you could like ignore them for the most part, which I think was a little bit of a letdown. In one of my playthroughs, though, they definitely caught up to us like uh, we had a kind of slow start, and they were kind of on top of us for quite a while, and that was pretty, it felt pretty scary at that point. But as soon as you get, like, two spaces ahead of them, it's kind of just like, they're chasing you, and you're still trying to go faster, but they're not quite as scary, so. Are we completely sure we didn't screw up some rule or something? Because, yeah, both of the playthroughs that I did, I just remember us just outpacing them the whole time, basically. I think in our first playthrough, we might have forgotten to draw encounter cards a couple times when pressing the gas but in my other playthroughs including our big one with harrison we did not forget to do that yeah Hmm. they kind of designed it so that the bigger there's like a van that like kind of takes longer to get to you and then there's like the little bikes the the motorcycle fishmen are like they are faster so they'll move twice during the encounter phase so they like are definitely going to catch up to you but they're not really a big deal um there's a lot of like because that is i mean things. that is like how a chase scene is supposed to work yeah it's so really it's, cool. Yeah, it's cool yeah it's cool that it works that way but yeah I, I feel like we just never had a lot to worry about for yeah those i think the, the the climax as far as enemies go when was i think harrison in our four player uh thing we just kind of like waited until we had a critical mass of enemies right behind us and then harrison lobbed a, a dynamite back at them and like in very action movie fashion i feel like we did something similar we did like a storm of spirits with Luke or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, blew them all up. <laughs> it was great. So I mean, that was great and cool. Yeah. So I loved that. Do the do the nineteen twenties equivalent of like a predator drone, which is like tie it to a bird and then like send the bird <laughs> backwards towards them. You know, yeah. kind of improvise. Yeah. yeah. Though there is one enemy that I don't think any of us saw on our playthroughs that could pop up, um, which is our, our our friendly our friendly friend from the the Devil Reef can also show up and chase you down. The squiggly horror. Uh, if you didn't. If you didn't slay it in the previous scenario. Oh, the, so, the anime Kraken? Yeah, <laughs> yes. Kraken, he'll show up and he'll chase you and you can, like, shoot him, but then he'll, like, wake up again in, like, a turn or two. He comes down in, like, a blimp. Well, we're, like, driving along the coast or whatever, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, like, yeah. I think he's, like, popping up and, like, trying to grab you with tentacles or whatever. And it definitely has the art from, I think, the cover of Arkham Horror 2nd uh, Edition on it. So I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that art. <laughs> that's that guy. I don't know if that makes the scenario, how much more intense that makes the scenario. I imagine it makes it a bit harder. Thematically, it's pretty cool, right? It's a good way to make use of the memory. It's like, oh, you didn't defeat the monster, you know, in the past. And, oh, he's still here. He no longer wants to be your friend, though, because there's no anime eyes in that art. <laughs> and he hates <laughs> your car. One, so, <laughs> yeah. 
maybe he's just an environmentalist. Like, the cars are probably, like, spinning oh. a lot of gas, and they're probably pretty bad. Maybe he just wants to get rid of that. I mean, these are these like, are 1920s ocean. cars. They're probably especially terrible. They're also, Smoggy. like, really loud. Like, mufflers hadn't been invented yet. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. Fair. I think the Terror Devil Leaf is actually the secret hero of this campaign and, like, where the bad guys... Too bad he's dead. He can't, he can't, like, fend off our, the smoggy yeah. invaders yeah. from his land. The real Eldritch Horror is uh, personal automobiles. So yeah. I, I gotta admit, it, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true so not too much else going on in the scenario i think this is one of the few scenarios that doesn't have keys flooding or like flashbacks in it yeah maybe one of two or one of one of one i can't remember the first four if there was one that didn't have any of that stuff so the town did uh like it's kind of a nice break i guess from those mechanics in the middle of the campaign yeah because uh, not every scenario needs to have those so that's cool it's like the threads of fate and then it's like the the one scenario that you would kind of lift out and put just about anywhere and it would sort of work yeah. yeah yeah like this the story is loose enough that you can like say oh we gotta some guys are chasing us and we gotta go from point a to point b to get there so kind of kind of cool as like a standalone story if you want yeah i think that sometimes like in action movies or in action games like there's always like the chase scene you know there or there's always like the the car fight thing and like depending on how how good those go is kind of like a way that you can like look at the movie and be like yeah this is a good action movie that chase scene was pretty dope, you know, like, and this, this one, I felt like that, that rang true. It was, it was enjoyable. Yeah. The weird one about this I saw is it, this snare like hard shuts down all of the usually very good movement card, <laughs> movement compression cards, like shortcut, track shoes, etc. because you basically need to be in the vehicle the whole time. And the forced effect makes it so if you try to use any of that stuff, it still costs like two actions or something. So, but those cards are like very critical for the rest of the campaign because of all the maps are, are so freaking huge. So it's a weird thing. Uh, yeah, not much is going on. I think this is like one of the lower stakes. It feels very high intensity, but like the actual results of it are kind of low stakes. I think like if you do don't make it to the lighthouse in time, you like get an extra doom in the next scenario or something. Like it's not too okay. bad. Yeah, I almost you know we were we were trying to go very fast. We talked about how we kind of outran the enemies, and even still, we didn't have a whole lot of spare time. I think to finish it, like the time is kind of p- punishing. It almost feels like maybe we went really fast and maybe like an average group wouldn't have had an easy time actually even getting to the end of it before the agenda runs out. If you hit one of those long way rounds, man, it takes forever <laughs> to do, to get back. I'm almost guessing that they're expecting that it's quite likely that you'll fail this one and it's just fine. You just have one less turn in the in the next one. Yeah, because like, yeah, I think we were we, we had a, an aggressive seeker, I think, in all of our playthroughs, right? <laughs> that would vacuum up clues pretty yeah. quick so we didn't really stop much but if you've stopped once and i don't think we hit any long way arounds so i think we were able to peak successfully maybe we got lucky especially in the three ways Good job, map readers yeah so yeah it's definitely a fun scenario and feels intense but yeah not too punishing if you don't do well in it so it's that's still good so you'll have a good you know time. What i'm thinking we need to make like a variant of this it's just like how fast can you go and it's just like whoever whichever group can get to the end the fastest Drawing the most encounter cards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It'd be fantastic. Anything else we have to say about Horror High Gear? I uh, play Nathaniel Show because it's funny to, to punch vans into oblivion. <laughs> it's definitely mostly because of what we said earlier about how it doesn't use the same mechanics as the rest of them. It is, I think, the most memorable of the scenarios from this one. It's the one that I will remember the most. The one that least has to do with water, which is kind of funny. Oh, yeah. Did you know humans are 70% water, Dan? Thanks for that fact, Dan. Every scenario has to do with water. The light in the fog is the sixth scenario. 
This is also in the present timeline. It's one of the few times we don't flip between the present and the past between scenarios. So yeah, uh, it keeps up the pace. We reach the lighthouse and we're looking for, I don't know how to say his name, but it's like Osirios Marsh. He's like the head headfish person uh, of the Stoke Lord of Dagon. So we're trying to find him and look for other clues on this mysterious order. So this one had kind of an interesting map layout, at least I thought. Like, you line up all the locations in a row, but they're all connected to each other, and then later you get unlock more lo- uh, more rows that are lower down that are also all connected to each other. So it's like a cylinder-type situation that you're in where there's a bunch of interconnected locations. So visually, I thought that was cool as you're, like, uh, kind of exploring, like, a little tiny island area with a couple buildings, and then eventually you, you swim down into, like, some tight caves as you're moving around. What else are we doing here? So you do find Osirios. He's kind of like the, a mini-boss that can pop up a few times in the scenario, depending how you're doing. First time it pops up, I think we usually blew him up pretty quick. If you don't blow him up pretty quick, I think he can get he can get kind of scary, because he has the... Uh, worth his salt. Yeah, the worth, worth his salt encounter cards that make him beefier. And then I think if he attacks, he will also capture you. And we assumed captured was very bad, so we tried to avoid it at all costs in our playthroughs, and I think we, we only actually got captured once. <laughs> That's because we got greedy for victory. And it was, in fact, <laughs> it was, in fact, kind of bad. Yeah. Uh, definitely made us take, like, another six or seven turns to get out, because the, the capture mechanic is, like, you get thrown in a cell, you get kind of disconnected from the rest of the group, and you, like, you're disabled, because you're, like, handcuffed or whatever. Or you're in, a, you're in a jail cell, and you have to try to break yourself out in order to get back into the to the game. Uh, I think it steals all your keys and stuff, too. Yeah. Which is pretty nasty. Yeah, yeah. So that's definitely, it's like a cool, fun mechanic. It, most, I think Innsmouth and other Arkham games is usually some type of like, oh, the inhabitants throw you in jail because you're not a fish or whatever. So Stop murdering our children. <laughs> kind of brought the, yeah, that was the last thing I was going on with this scenario. Well, the last thing was the... This is actually like the the hatchery or whatever uh, for, for the deep ones. So there's like baby deep ones and like caretaker deep ones um, and a couple of encounter cards that are themed around that where the babies will like pop out and like bite you but but are really not that scary. But then there's like some caretakers that will like, uh, they'll ignore you as long as you're not hurting the babies. But if you hurt the babies, they'll, you know, they'll go ape, they'll go ape on you. Or what's a really scary fish? A uh, deep one bull? Because <laughs> he's definitely there. <laughs> <laughs> like, like a barracuda like a like a hammerhead yeah. shark they'll go yeah, hammerhead right. shark on your ass <laughs> yeah exactly so uh those are cool they're very unique uh and i think mj was definitely wrote like a giant article just talking about how adorable this fish baby was that you have to decide if you want to kill or not as well <laughs> um, they are very adorable was this the one with one of our most incredible arts of this cycle uh hideous lullaby or yes. is that the next one yes yeah. no that was this one that's a real like david lynch hallmark card of an art <laughs> it of, sure is <laughs> just that's really incredible that somebody i hope someone got promoted for that one it depicts like a, one of the caretaker <laughs> fish ladies holding up one of the little little babies and like kind of like singing to it and like rocking it and it's it's so wholesome <laughs> and great and it's such a weird macabre sort of way but also very terrifying because the horrible fish monsters. The baby's eyes are like as big as like your fist. Yeah. And it's just it has yeah. giant teeth. Very weird. It's really trying to make us question like who are the good guys here? Is it us? Nope. Or, I mean, the fish people are just trying to live, you know? They want to be friends and hang out and maybe make more fish people. So who, kn- who knows? But, you know, they also are making the water up higher and we don't want the water up higher. 
It's the same plan as Team uh, Aqua in Pokemon Sapphire, actually. Or maybe Pokemon Movie. I don't remember which one's which. <laughs> but... <laughs> what a fun to plan it. So... Considerably did less they, Did they succeed? Did they succeed, Ben? Did that actually happen? <laughs> no, that can... no, you stop it. Usually, I'm sure there was there was I a see. lot less massacre of of small fish children. Though, did did you listen to that Pokemon Gen three themed emo album that I sent you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I listened to most of it. Good, like, uh, it's it's pretty good. I think you posted it on our Discord somewhere, right? Yeah. Speaking uh, of things that make <laughs> you really sad, unspent experience is written in red at the bottom of our notes here. It is. I was going to mention that because at the end of this one, you flash back to the ne- the past timeline, so you don't get to spend your experience, which is mildly annoying. I hate it. Yeah, <laughs> I want to spend my experience. This definitely really seemed to bother both of you guys a lot, and I didn't really care. I'm going to rant about it later, but <laughs> okay. it's just the inconsistency of right. it. So that's you got you got to warm up a little bit. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is is there anything else going on in this scenario? There, the layout is pretty randomized, so that can affect how easy the bottom half is, I guess. Yeah. But it's kind of cool that you have to like find the pump room, and you can use to like drain other other rooms to decrease the flooding, and you use that to so you can try to escape out of the moon room. So, uh, and you get scuba suits if you escape out of the moon room, scuba, which is cool. I think I think my main impression of this one is. Yeah, I think it was. This is one that maybe suffered a lot from our, our playing it through, uh, let's say, Cyber Millennium uh, digital network uh, <laughs> means instead of with actual paper cards. I feel like this is going for kind of like a really atmospheric, tense kind of scenario, kind of like Black Stars Rise or something. Yeah. And something about mm-hmm. just like not being able to see the cards makes that more difficult. Yeah. There's also the fact that the, the, the main dude, Osiris or whatever, I feel like he just didn't bother us at all. We just mostly could ignore him. Is that right? Well, if you advance, if you advance the act before the agenda's advanced, then he like doesn't pop back out. Oh, yeah. Am I going to like say the same kind of mild complaint about every scenario and we're just going to realize that the entire thing was basically ruined by us being too good at getting clues? <laughs> doesn't the, um, the act is, or the agenda does something weird in this one in that it keeps all doom from the previous agenda, right? Yeah, so it, uh, every time, because when you advance the act, you also advance the agenda, so it's like the agenda doesn't get reset. So I think up until, like, the fourth agenda, like, the third agenda, I think, wipes it, and then the fourth agenda is the normal one. So, like, it sort of seems like there's a lot of doom, but I think it's actually, like, it's still, like, 18, I think, because I think it's, like, 8 for the first three, and then there's, like, 10 in the last one or something. It does doom a little different. Or maybe it's, like, 10 and 4. I don't know. It's interesting. It's a real good David Renfield scenario. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no but i like it that like if you fail to advance the act in time then like something bad happens but the story still progresses yeah. so it's kind of a cool way there and i think it's also like the last the last agenda every time it flips it like just causes some flooding mm-hmm. and then yeah. like you lose if the entire place gets flooded before you get out you have to discard cards or something like that too but yeah something like that but it's definitely <laughs> that builds up the ten- intensity especially if you uh know what happens and you lose there yeah, the cool thing about this this one specifically, as far as like the flooded mechanic goes, is that normally if you would be starting in a fully flooded location and then like if you don't surface at any point, aka you just don't see like a half flooded location or unflooded location, you take five damage generally is like how that translates to you drowning. But in this one, it's different in that I think you you choose to either take damage or you sink a level. 
into the underneath and at first you're like oh cool i can go i can go deeper and like you know by sinking into the ground and then i get to see the next floor and that's neat but then at the end when you're trying to get out you're like oh this is this is not this is not fun (laughs) because you have to like sit swim back up and if you don't if you don't surface at any point in time you you basically just keep sinking back down i thought that was a pretty cool way to do the 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 drowning mechanic where like you could use it strategically if you wanted to sink lower yeah. uh, so you didn't have to worry about as much about finding a place to surface every round yeah. um so that was a cool way to help you maneuver around the map i thought yeah uh not too much else going on in the scenario we got the key- keys again uh they try to do something different with keys in every scenario uh at least somewhat uh like this one you like uh use them to use them both for finding axe and for flashbacks mm-hmm. so that was fine this one's a conch and this one's a cheeseburger yeah <laughs> There was the flashbacks in this one were just kind of lore ones that didn't really advance like the story. I thought I think both of them were kind of like, uh, oh, here's something about the deep ones, or here's something about the Death Star Order, or whatever. So this one though, I, I, one of my big complaints I think for most of these scenarios is they reuse the title tunnels <laughs> in five or six of the scenarios. So every time I see them, I'm like not that excited because it's like, eh, it's these again. Yeah, it's. It's tricky when locations get reused like that. I think one thing that we didn't like about Forgotten Age was that that one sort of jungle random explore mm, location yeah. set got reused a lot. But even that was maybe reused like four times, maybe. And yeah, tidal tunnels, like Ben said, I think that was used almost every scenario. Yeah. I didn't have much much of an issue with it because if, if it included it, I knew that there was going to be at least two victory. <laughs> so <laughs> I was happy. Yeah, I mean, it made it. It made it more predictable about like for replays. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, I know there's two of the caves that let you swim between stuff. Yeah. There's you know two of the smugglers, whatever, that have keys, and you know, so that's okay. It's just I wasn't super excited because I was like, oh, like we have eight mystery tile tunnel, tunnel locations, and I know what six of them are every time. It's like two unique ones per scenario or three. It's so. it's a good problem to have because any problem that's just we're kind of sick of seeing the same encounter cards or locations is something that if and when they do a return to can be fixed pretty easily because they'll just naturally make more cards and replace some. Yeah, they could easily swap those. I think they did that in Return to Forgotten Age. They yeah. added uh, more variety to the uh, whatever that set was called, the jungle set. Yeah, it made, so. made it a lot better. Yeah. So next up was the Layer of Dagon. So we have another flashback uh, scenario. This is the third one in the campaign where we're like playing through the events of the past. In this one, we are doing in our on our... Uh, pro- probably very successful uh, investigation of Estec Order Dagon. Probably no one will die, especially not a good pal Talmus. So this one uses makes use of several of the memories in the setup. Like there's a little bit of branching paths for the the acts that you do. Uh, I think it's mostly story based. I don't know if it affects too much mechanically, but it's fun to see those tie in in different ways. Like I don't think there was a one to one. Uh, use for like every memory like a lot of the memories are like oh and you know scenario three it does this and scenario six it does this that's cool but the big one on this is this is the only scenario that really focuses hard on the blessed uh but mostly the cursed tokens where it's like an actual mechanic in this scenario i think i think we saw that in like one other scenario there was like one location that did something with a cursed maybe it was in too deep yeah so this one had like encounter cards that were based on adding cursed tokens or I think locations that did stuff, some act resolutions add to curse tokens. And they were scary in this one because if you had cultists in your bag, which I think usually when we're given the option, we uh, we keep cultists over the other spooky symbols. So I, I guess we got played there. Um, this one, they uh, 
turn the curse tokens into auto fails, basically, if you draw them in combination with the cultist. So that definitely made the curse tokens a bit scarier, I think. So that was cool. The keys in this one, you kind of spend them, and as you spend them, it makes the skulls worse. Um, and you can spend them to either advance the act or like gain some other benefit. Uh, in particular, like the first act, there's like a statue that you can pick up that's mm. a spooky curse statue, and you can like use keys to upgrade it into like a cooler, powerful statue, which is fun. I think I only actually, I, I don't know if I actually upgraded it in any of the playthroughs. I think I just looked at the back of the card because I was mad after like three games for not knowing what I did. I upgraded it in both. We, we definitely upgraded it when we all played together. Harrison had it. Did we? And then I, right. I upgraded it when I played with Harrison. And it, it basically just turns the entire bag from curses into blesses. It's ridiculously powerful. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But you, but it's it's a big cost to acquire it. So yeah. you have to decide in replays if you it's worth the time. Because you need to like uh, get all the clues from the location, like pick it up, run it to another location, use an action to pick it up. And then, uh, then you have to do another action, I think, with a different key to upgrade it. Yeah, so. that's, that's actually a good thing to point out, too. We like spend the keys in this one rather than like picking them up and then... Yeah having them for different like purposes for like unlocking rooms and things like that. This one we spend them. Um, so you like actually put them on the, the little scenario reminder card or whatever. Right. Right. And then it makes the skulls worse. And, and then eventually like if you spend all of them, the skulls are like a minus six or something. So it can get scary if you spend them on like trivial things uh, or like spend them frivolously. So you kind of want to keep them. This was, I, I think that the, the keys, which were used in so many scenarios, I mean, it, they were cool, but I think too often it sort of felt like it was just, it felt roughly the same as just picking up clues. Like, oh, when you clear a location, you get the key and then you can just forget about it. Yeah. The thing that Ben was describing where you do have kind of stuff that you can do that involves multiple keys and multiple steps. I wish there had been a little more of that because that was same. pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they try to twist it up in each scenario, but I agree that a lot of these are like, it's just another objective. Get yeah. The keys. It's usually just like a threshold. I think it might feel way cooler and different in solo, maybe. Yeah, I agree. I feel like this whole campaign is probably pretty difficult in solo because the maps are so huge <laughs> yeah. and there's a lot. There's an extra layer of of randomness in like where the keys spawn and which ones you need and stuff. So yeah, let's see. What else is going on in this scenario? I feel like there was something. Oh, there's more title tunnels, obviously. <laughs> no. Uh, oh, this one is the one that I think we played wrong, probably. We always play along everything wrong in the blind run, but uh, this is the only scenario where the title tunnels aren't connected by adjacency. <laughs> um, all the other ones, they are. So, like, the in Act 2, you, like, dive down into the into the tunnels, oh, yeah, and yeah. You, you have to, like, swim around and look for keys and try to find, like, the pathway to the, the final dips. And they're they're not connected in this one. I just kind of assumed they were. So uh, in a blind playthrough, we cruised through it a little bit because it was made the map much smaller. But in the other playthroughs, it, it feels very big because like every time you want to go to a new location, you have to like move twice. Which if you don't have a lot, of, if you don't have like pathfinders or track shoes or whatever, then that's pretty costly. And in solo, that'll be pretty nasty, I imagine. So yeah, that's that's <laughs> if anything about about uh, the Innsmouth conspiracy so far, pathfinder and safeguard, man. Just get them. Just get them. Play people who can use them because they're fantastic. Yeah, they're really powerful, except in horror and high gear where they basically don't do anything. But uh, they're they're definitely very strong in all those big maps. Which is probably why they tabooed Pathfinder like right when this campaign came out. The last part of this is if you find Dagon and he's sleeping, and you're trying to like investigate his lair. You think you do that by like getting clues, and you need to do an action on the act or something, like a will test or agility test or something. 
very similar to uh the core campaign where you like sort of stop the ritual or whatever you get clues and then do a will or agility test i think right the devourer below that's right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this one felt a little scarier because you do have Dagon right there, and every time you fail, you like put a token on him, yeah. and once he gets a certain number of tokens, he'll wake like, up. Twitches a little bit. Yeah. Stop snoring for a second. I don't want to go to yeah, school. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're trying to not, trying to not wake him up, because if you wake him up, I think there's a repercussion in the next scenario. Um, also, he'll be up and he'll like be attacking you and stuff. Cause yeah, I was about to say, yeah, that, that's zero. definitely more of the... the your immediate... <laughs> what are you kids doing in my room? <laughs> yeah. You murder all my children, and, and now you're trying to murder me? Yeah. Though, for some reason, Dane really wanted to wake him up when we did our four-person playthrough, because he wanted... He has, like, one victory on him or something. Which is weird. <laughs> so, I feel like for a, for an Elder One, or whatever, there'd, there'd be more victory to be had, but, you know. Yeah, I think you just, like, bonk him in the head, and he f- goes back to sleep. He's, like, five more minutes or whatever, and he goes back <laughs> to sleep, and that's that's what that represents. I don't know. I mean, he's awake in a rage, though, so who knows? I love that. Like, he's sleeping, and his art is, like, him just kind of peacefully sleeping, and then the only difference between the art of him sleeping and him him awake is that his just his just eyes pop open and it's like awakened <laughs> yeah, in nice. a rage and he's just like kind of just chill. He just literally looks like, hey, what up? I assume that was taken from Pokemon because that's the the max level of animation effort they put into Pokemon is they close their eyes when they're asleep <laughs> and do nothing, oh, that's nothing true. else. Yeah, they're still like standing and everything. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It's got Pokemon syndrome. You know, it's more reasonable when it's a two D art card. It's, this is kind of like a. It's like the climax of the past, of the past timeline flashbacks. You get to learn how uh, how Thomas uh, died horribly. Although there's still one or two memory. There's still a couple gaps from memory, but you kind of get the gist of what happened. And then you kind of like, did Dagon wake up or not? And that falls into uh, falls in the next scenario or not. It's kind of cool. A lot of curses. It's that's like the biggest thing I think. Yeah, it's a good way to like actually infuse the curse mechanic into the campaign i'm pretty glad it wasn't like uh every other scenario did something with the curse tokens i think it's yeah. like fine for this like one of them to do with it yeah did it pretty well too yeah uh you guys got any other thoughts on this one yeah. <laughs> great Thank, thanks dan <laughs> um, yeah so it's an interlude where you're you're like oh it's time to buckle down we we remember we remember basically everything so we got to go back. We got to go back and deal with those big giant fish, the big giant fish daddy. Um, and also maybe maybe his wife, who isn't mentioned until this final scenario. Um, I don't think. So the last scenario is into the maelstrom. We're back in the present. We I think we steal a boat or something. Uh, and we go back out into the ocean. And it's time to, to try to go to uh, the spooky place, which I think is pronounced Yahathnathli. At least that's how I've been saying it. It's probably wrong, but, uh, you know, it's fine. So this one's a little weird because the first act, I think, was errated immediately uh, (laughs) by word of mouth in that if if you've been doing well in the campaign and completed certain objectives, you start with the four keys you need to advance, and the act isn't optional, so it would just force you to advance immediately. But it's also weird because it doesn't really give you any motivation to, if you already have all four keys, there's no reason, real reason to explore the first area. Except to, like, set up, because presumably horrible things are about to happen. Yeah. But, like, you wouldn't really know that, I guess, maybe? Yeah. The objective is, like, when everybody is at the the starting location and has all four keys, you can advance. So, if you already have those four keys, because you get those if you found certain things or beat certain enemies throughout the campaign, 
then there's no reason to explore as far as you know. I mean, once you've played it once, you're like, oh, you want to explore because you uh, want to, you can gather some extra clues and you can get the keys you want, which have uses in the next area. So that, that was a little odd for me, but uh, the completionism in me, of course, compelled me to explore everything before we advanced anyway, so it was fine. So in the first area, you're just kind of swimming around underwater. Uh, if you got the diving suits, you can basically you get to basically ignore the forced effect, so you're not worried about drowning unless you're, you get some holes in your diving suit. So it's kind of lackadaisical, and, and some spooky fish might pop up, but you know it's, it's mostly fine. Uh, but then once you advance, you dive down into into the maelstrom, right? You're uh, you're in the spooky final boss area, um, which uh, is not in space, uh, as Dane has noted here. Yay! It's uh, just underwater, you know. But underwater is also kind of scary, you know? The finale we've all been waiting for. <laughs> Finally, one that doesn't take place, like, at the end of the world or, like, in space or whatever. Yeah, it's just it's just really close to the bottom of the ocean. I mean, we did do one that was, like, at the bottom of the Earth or whatever, right? Two yeah, of those? It's kind of, yeah, kind of at the end of the world. You know. Yeah, we're running, we're running out of different directions to go. I know. This is what's a little yeah. bit worrying. I'm hoping that the next one is, like, on a mountain somewhere. Yeah, that'd be good. The, at the North Pole. Literally at the, at the North Pole, yeah. probably. The Northwest Pole. If they go to the North Pole, maybe that Cthulhu Santa playmat that you. Um, yeah, I was going to say the final, the final boss, Santa Claus. <laughs> Cthulhu finally come back. So, uh, what was going on in the second act? So, the second act, your goal is to unflood the city. I think that represents it, like rising out of the rising out of the water, and then the fish will like flop around because you know they don't want to. How be in are we the villains in this? Seriously. I think we are the villains, Dane. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that's the point we're trying to get across by the end of this. But uh, you, like, you raise up the city, and to do that, you have to like use the keys in certain locations, um, or you can spend clues, or you can uh, damage Dagon uh, or and and or Hydra once they're awake, which is kind of cool. Like most of my playthroughs, we like rushed to the clues because both Dagon and Hydra were asleep and you couldn't hurt them yet. But in our four-person playthrough, because <laughs> Dane insisted on waking up Dagon. Uh, he was definitely active the whole time, so I think, which was nice, because I think Harrison, like, ran over and shot him a bunch, and that made it so we actually needed less clues than, than we had collected, so that was kind of cool. So I kind of like that. I, I like that the Dag and the Hydra are not really super big. They're not as scary as other ancient ones we fought, right? They're kind of a lower tier. Yeah. Maybe, I don't remember, was Yig super scary? I feel like no. Yig wasn't that scary. We, the, we killed him with a shotgun. <laughs> were you guys at all surprised or disappointed that Cthulhu didn't make an appearance in the last scenario here? Because I was maybe a little disappointed. Well, he's not in Yahadnath well, or whatever. He's in he's in yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's down a, in the South Pacific. He's man. a water ocean. Kind of, yeah, but when are we gonna when are when are we gonna get a scenario? He's in the right? Pacific yeah. Ocean, I think. Right? Yeah, I mean, so, come on, Dan. If they, I, I think a, like a Polynesian kind of campaign for this would be incredibly cool. But I'm also not sure if that's a thing we're ever gonna get. I'm pretty sure, like Dayon yeah. or Hydra, like phoned him after this and they were like dude some investigators came over and like murdered all our children <laughs> yeah and i wasn't even like name dropped i think relay is name dropped somewhere. it is it is yeah. yeah it's one of the one of the points on the special map only thing. if you get the secret special yeah. super spooky ending yeah the scenario did have that one last flashback which gave an extra an extra conspiracy <laughs> twist where it's revealed that uh the uh, government sent Harper and... Actually, the government is the real Cthulhu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're, they're just here to steal the money from the fish people. Yeah. And that's why they're yep. here. And you have to you have to decide to either, like, 
uh, begrudgingly help them or, you know, say F you and like blow up the city and destroy all the riches so no one can have it, including the fish people. Um, like neither of these, so, like the fish people get no say in this. I just want to say it's like, yeah. it's like go with the government or blow up the whole, like they blow it up anyways. They're like, oh, we've just got a whole line of artillery boats out there that they're going to blow it up. <laughs> weren't they, like, weren't they trying to like build a giant suction cup machine that will make the okay, water rise or they, something? They were, they are trying to flood the entire planet. Right, that's. But we that, have cars. Is that that bad? Have you seen Waterworld, Ben? <laughs> I've seen clips of it. Didn't they have a good time in Waterworld? I would not call. I mean, it's not a bad movie, but I would not call it a good time. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that they, they, they did have an evil plan in the flooding the world, but I mean, they just wanted to have more space to live. You know, maybe if we didn't object as much to fish people hanging out, then they they could, you know. I mean, they did have seventy percent of the planet. Yeah, I was going like to say the, the, the water. The Earth's already mostly ocean, right? Mm. Like, how much? How much do they? Really I think need? it's at least morally gray. But still, like the amount of automobiles we have would be reduced to zero, right? Yeah, that's a be pro for the planet overall. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, anyway, where do we get on this? Oh yeah, so I like that there was like, I get this is kind of a thing in general. I like the flashback mechanic in a lot of these scenarios because they're all basically optional bonus rewards much in the way like victory is but in this scenario in particular because it's the last scenario we usually don't care about victory at all it's kind of fun to have that extra bonus challenge built in where you're trying to get an extra objective done so you can get a little bit more story out of it so i like that well anything else coolness uh i want to once again mention the art on one of the encounter cards which is uh really absolutely horrifying stuff that just really shredded my brain into little pieces (laughs) Uh, and that's Aquatic Abomination, which is basically like a really jacked mutant furry killer whale with like little little lizard arms. And it looks like it just wants to like bite you in half. And it's extremely scary. I, I still have nightmares about it. Uh, we, I don't know why it's furry. That's what bothered me the most. Yeah. It, it's like an underwater creature. <laughs> it's, it was, I mean, the, the, well, the word abomination is right in there, but damn, that yeah. thing, that thing is just absolutely bone chilling. Yeah. I liked the art. I forgot to write down the name of the card, but there's an art that has like a goldfish, but it's like a scary goldfish. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, like a mutant I like, that, I like cool. that one a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like that one a as, lot. As far as the art goes, I feel like this, the locations in this just had like the most cool art, for me anyways, of any of the finales. Because they're, they're usually like at the end of the, the world or whatever, and they're all like really trippy, abstract sort of stuff. And this... It's it's like this just submerged temple, and there's these like boundless riches just like streaming out of these you know temple windows and things, and there's like fish everywhere. Even the hallways and corridors are really neat. Just be, they did such a good job with with like kind of painting this spooky underwater fish fish layer. So I like that a lot. Yeah, I agree. Definitely solid, uh, solid art. I mean, I think a lot of the final scenarios usually have pretty cool location art. Yeah, this one for me. Uh, is yeah, this one's definitely cool. another one. The the funny thing is that I feel like this does Indiana Jones better than the Forgotten Age, just because you actually have things <laughs> where you're interacting with with the map, right? You're like you're using your keys to like fit it into a socket that'll allow you to move a little faster, or set a trap for when, like whenever a non elite enemy would come yeah. in, it'll deal damage, you know. And it, it, that feels to me more dynamic than just here's another pit of snakes, here's a sinkhole, you know. <laughs> like I, I want I want interaction. And cool stuff. Most of the keys kind of like had to go in a specific location just to 
drain just just to like uh make the i forget why but there was some reason we just wanted to drop all the keys off right? it felt more like water yeah. temple though right it felt more like you're interacting yeah. with the locations and like stuff is moving as a result of you being there it felt more dynamic to me whereas like yeah. forgotten age didn't have any of that yeah there, there's a couple locations where you could like drop a key a, a specific key and make it do something but those locations were kind of random so I don't know if I totally like that. I would have liked it better if you could like put the location on any of like these seven locations or this key on any of these seven locations and it did something rather than being locked to a specific random spot. I remember wishing that you had to like do a test or pay resources or something in order to place the keys, but you could pass them between investigators freely just so there would be more of a group element of like, oh, this person is good at dropping off this key. This person is good at using this key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that. Yeah. The keys in general, like because it's like an action to hand them off, I agree it would have been better if it was uh, something you could do testless or actionlessly. But you can't yeah, take them, right? Cost. It always has to be the person who has the key yeah. to give it to somebody else. I think it would have it right. would have added more of a dynamic situation if if you could you could take it for even just for the action too. Like because there were some times where I was like, hey, can you? I have to run to the opposite of the map, and I'm it's fine because I'm a seeker and I'm bullshit, but like. If you could help, I could just, like, get halfway there, you can grab the key, and then run to the rest of the way. Because half, half the time we weren't drawing encounter cards, so the Guardians had nothing to do. <laughs> and we'll get into that. It was fine the way it was, but I just, I wish that it was, uh, I wish there was a little bit more going on with the keys. Yeah, same. Yeah. Especially because when you pick up a key, you don't necessarily know what you're going to do with it. So, like, mm-hmm. the, the quote-unquote wrong person might pick it up, and then it kind of feels a little bad, because it's a free action to pick it up. I don't know. But in general, I liked them. Dane, are you are you working on acquiring a set of little metal keys of different designs and all the different little colors so that you can use those instead of the tokens? I assume you are. Uh, he, uh, I can tell he probably was not, but now he's going to get like 50 different <laughs> little key objects for each scenario. <laughs> well, not just key objects. Some of them represented like a little conch. So I'm going to go to like the ocean and just like scan for hours oh, and God. find the perfect keys. <laughs> Whenever we see each other again, we're going to show play in Smith and Dane's going to open up a backpack and dump it on the table and <laughs> filled with conch shells. It's just like Dane's sand. Like, we, need all, like, we need all these. An actual live starfish crawling Dane away. Dane just has like a wheelbarrow full of like, look what I found in the dumpster, guys. <laughs> it's all these, all these keys. The worst part is I moved away from the ocean, so I can't actually do that. I mean, I, I think um, that's actually well, a cool idea. That's probably so. for the best, but it is cool, but... uh I also don't want you to dump sand all over my cards, so... <laughs> I don't know, I think that was that was mostly it for that uh, scenario. There's a little epilogue, as usual, if you if you defeat it, if you're able to uh, complete the first act, the, the main act, you can also optionally complete the second act and still win. The second act you unlock by uh, yeah. finding out the government. Uh, so that was kind of cool. And you can do them in either order, and you can choose to advance if you just completed one of them. I think if you don't complete the one where you unflood, I think you don't win. I don't think you get an investigators win the campaign. I think it's like, oh, you leave. Mm. There's like eight resolutions, right? Yeah, depending on like which, sec- if you complete the second optional one or not, or in which which one you picked. Because if you picked a side with the government, you get a different act. Where I think you have to collect all the clues from the layers because you're stealing all the riches. <laughs> or if you refuse, you have to like kill Dagon and Hydra or hurt them a certain amount, which represents like damaging the structures Ooh. or something so they collapse so yeah that's cool the epilogue is kind of nice there and then it has like a fun uh if you've collected every single flashback you get a, a chunk of extra story an extra final memory where you uh, remember another secret. another 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 conspiracy Exclusive. <laughs> um, classified 
Yeah. So that's fun, and that's always, you know, always fun to have an extra little challenge or reward, basically, for going either way to get those flashbacks. And I, I think I only got that in our last playthrough, because I think we missed one or two. I think usually we miss the, the mob. You guys, I remember you said you, you guys missed the mob. Yeah, the third scenario in both of my other two playthroughs, we missed the mob, because we just didn't have enough time for that one. I don't know. So, yeah, so, I don't know, we can dive into overall mechanics. We kind of touched on them already uh, so far in our discussion, and we also talked to them about a lot of these in the last, uh, the the mid-campaign check-in. So, I don't know, we can lightning round through them quick. If you guys have any extra thoughts, we can talk about them. So, like, story themes, we had all the flashbacks and memories. I like them mostly for the story. Pretty cool, I guess. It increased the amount of text that we had to read, but I guess it was okay. Yeah, large injections of text, like, mid-scenario do kind of disrupt the flow a bit. Yeah, they kind of pull you it's out okay a little bit. It's okay if you have, like, a paragraph. Yeah, if you, it's okay if you have, like, a paragraph or whatnot. I mean, I liked the actual words, like, the story and stuff was good, but can disrupt the flow a little bit, I think. I think the right amount felt like um, in the Dreamlands where you have those locations that flip. I forget what the specific mechanic was called, but... Oh, yeah. Where they flip, and then they kind Delb. of give you some, some story text on the back, and then it's like, you can't flip this over again. And there, there could be multiple paragraphs and things, but it, but it kind of like lays a little bit of theme out for you. This felt a little too long. Fitting them on cards weirdly would have made it feel like less of an interruption. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't want every campaign to work like this, but I, I don't think it was a huge problem for this one to do it but that way. But then you couldn't use the title tunnels 80 times, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I liked the flashbacks gave you a way to like uh, manipulate the chaos back for the most yeah, part. Yeah. I think a lot of them were like, take one of the three spooky tokens out or maybe add one back depending on where it was in the timeline. So that's kind of fun. And, like, when you do a replay, you might, like, go... If you're not trying to get all 14, you might be able to, like, pick specific ones you want to go for to to get certain uh, resolutions or results. So that's kind of fun. Uh, there was a lot of fish in this campaign. Ho- hoping we don't really see more fish for a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but as a theme, it is fine. Yeah, and I think I think we've already extensively discussed the one of the main themes of being like, oh, what if the fish people are really the heroes or something? You know, the yeah. they're they're <laughs> less of a, a less of an explicitly like evil sort of antagonistic force. They're, although still maybe evil, I don't know, but maybe less so than most of. I the think other. the humans are mostly the antagonistic force, right? The fish people just want to do fish people yeah. things, right? I mean, maybe the fish people were here first, and you know, and the humans are just. Are, are the the later race and they're just like yeah we're kind of well, sick you, could, you guys you could say the same about the snakes from forgotten age but those we, we hated them we wanted to murder them yes yeah, all. It's, it's yeah. The snakes, man. Who cares? The, the snakes no no good snakes were no good but <laughs> um yeah so and then you know obviously the other main theme is there's a lot of water yeah you know? the, the, that was that was the fish's goal to flood the planet yeah yep. the, the flipping maybe it was the human's goal that worshipped the fish did the actual fish the want goal, to flood the planet the goal of the fish people and team aqua as, as ben said <laughs> yeah i think right. i think the the fish people just kind of did that because like the planets aligned and that's kind of what naturally would have happened and then the humans were like the were just kind of the assholes who were like let's murder people and turn them into fish when that really didn't actually need to happen because there's just like enough babies to ta- i don't know I mean, the the fish people were like paying the humans to oh sure yeah do something yeah. right they were using the riches to to pay them off to help them help them do and they were just laughing because stuff. humans are stupid enough to to like get a bunch of money and then realize that their their whole world is going to be like underwater anyways and they're going to die so it, yeah. it was it was a win win for the fish when you really think about it, it sounds about yeah. right. <laughs> 
Yeah, so those are major themes, I think. Uh, mechanics, uh, blessed and cursed tokens are obviously the big, the big main mechanic that will also maybe stretch into other campaigns in the sense that there's player cards for them. Yeah. Only two scenarios actually interacted directly with the blessed and cursed tokens, which was uh, the the third scenario. The names escape me of the third into scenario, deep. but uh, yeah, into deep it had a couple cards that I think interacted with it. One or two locations mainly. Yeah, and then obviously layer of dagon had a big cursed theme so i mean that that's basically fine and then like we've seen the whole cycle we've talked about extensively in our card reviews the cursed and blessed tokens and i think like uh in our playthroughs blessed token wise we used a shirt which has an actual name restful yeah, peace watchful peace watchful peace yeah watchful peace but that was very crazy i, I played it in silas and one of our games and definitely played it like six times and it was kind of like this is too much yeah. So <laughs> it, it is kind of insane yeah. because it's kind of like every time you play it, you're, I mean, if you think in a four player game on average, what like one and a half enemies are going to be drawn every turn or something like that. It's sort of like every time you play it, you're just making one and a half enemies plus some treacheries just not happen. Yeah. 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 That's a, And like normally for a four player game, you, you, you might go through the encounter deck like twice or three times. We might've went through it once, maybe. Yeah. Oh no. Stuff so... got shuffled in. And then it shuffled in. So we, it got shuffled in, but we never actually got, went through yeah. it once, which we definitely would have without shuffling. Like, right. like anything else, it wouldn't be insane if you played it like once in a scenario, but the fact that you can yeah. just recur it so much is kind of insane. Bonkers. Bananas. I'm expecting they'll errata it or taboo it to be like removed from game or yeah. something. And then then that's then it's like pretty fine for Survivor Blessed Tech. And then Guardian had Blessed Tech 2. I don't think we ever saw anyone play Holy Spear yet. So, or Hollow. Those are like the two big payoff cards for that. But I don't know. I think the Blessed Tokens by themselves don't do anything, but there's some interesting cards you kind of build around to, to do kind of a kind of fun interactions that play around yeah. with them. That's a neat dimension. They were fun. They work way better, the cards that allow you to think of them as kind of like a random magical token that triggers stuff and less of a thing that affects your skill value during a test. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking with uh with, with, with Scott from Myth- Mythos Busters and we were he basically just said like, no matter what, blessed and cursed tokens do make the pulling from the chaos bag more fun. I think there was a time where I think who was it drawing? Harrison or me? Somebody was drawing and it was like curse curse bless curse bless curse zero <laughs> it was just a roller coaster of emotions because you have no idea where it's gonna go yeah they do make it more interesting just because you gotta you draw more tokens there's more tokens in the bowl that you wear on top of your head that you've just been around it to pull out so that does make it interesting and having other effects that, like trigger off stuff is always yeah. cool so yeah so overall i think i think they're fun I think the main thing with them is like you need cards that do stuff with them rather than just like oh it makes the bag a little worse oh it makes the bag a little better because that by itself doesn't do anything. And then the main mechanics for this campaign were like the flood tokens and the keys. I think the flood tokens were fine. I think they were used effectively, pretty effectively in like Light in the Fog and in Into Maelstrom where you're kind of like moving them around. While in the other scenarios, it was just kind of like, oh, the locations are slowly getting worse. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times they didn't seem to get worse enough. Like in the first scenario, the whole map eventually did become completely flooded oh, yeah. except for a couple. And that yeah. felt very stressful and cool. Later scenarios, I don't think it ever got to that point, but maybe, as we mentioned before, maybe it's just that we were kind of blasting through everything really fast. Light in the fog gets gets yeah. scary eventually, but... It, yeah, it does, but it's not the flood tokens themselves, I think. It's more just, like, the time is running out and the use of flood tokens yeah. for that. I don't know. It, it's fine. 
it, it does make it, it adds playing around where it's like, oh, I started my turn at fully flooded location, so now I need to move around to do some stuff. So that can add some dynamics. But the the keys, I, we've kind of already talked about this. It was a very cool idea. I think the way it was implemented was nice, but sort of didn't quite live up to how cool it could have been just because too often it just felt too similar to already just scooping up clues. But there were a couple of cases where they did use it in a more interesting way, and those were really neat. Yeah. For the greater good was the original scenario that did the keys, right? Yeah. And honestly, I I think they were used about as well in that scenario as they were in any of these. Yeah. Yeah, because that one was also like you had to pick up a key, bring it to a location, and unlock something type of thing, and they spawned randomly. So it was similar, very similar. And I think it worked, maybe worked a little bit better as like a, you know, once per campaign type of puzzle thing. Uh, it was fine in this. Yeah. Um, and they definitely tried, they definitely tried to make them different in a lot of the scenarios. Yeah. I different. wanted them to be more dynamic though. I think kind of like Dan was saying, it would have been neat yeah. if they had more kind of prerequisites for like who in your team was the best person to, to carry this key and, and move him around. Cause a lot of the time it just kind of felt like one of those missions where you have to like pick up the person and transport them to location B. Escort mission. Yeah, yeah. It just felt like an escort mission. And they could have been used. I just think there's a lot of, there's a lot of really interesting puzzle stuff they could have done. Like when they, after we'd seen how they worked in the first couple scenarios, I imagine some stuff like, oh, there should be, maybe in one scenario there'll be a key and there's like a really scary invincible enemy that chases whoever has it. Or maybe there'll be two keys that can't be on the same location at the same time and you yeah, have to kind of like yeah. move them around. There's just there's a lot of really interesting things that they could have done with it and it really kind of hurts that, I mean, I mean maybe there's reasons that those couldn't have worked, but it's just, mm-hmm. it just, it feels like they left some stuff on the table maybe. I like the way they use those locations. That was fun in the last one. And I, I wish the descriptions for what each key were was more like, in the actual game rather than like in the scenario guide but i mean ultimately it's probably <laughs> what they had to do because i usually always forgot what they represented yeah. i would try to purposely like oh we got the red key this represents a conch shell or whatever i'm kind of surprised none of those keys ever represented like a baby deep one that you had to like carry around <laughs> with you or something oh that would have been the best <laughs> see that could have been the one with the big crazy invisible the crazy invisible enemies chasing yeah because that's like the mama bear or something oh man missed opportunity maybe in return to yeah, I'm hoping that mechanic is probably the one that I hope that they touch on most in in the yeah. return to. If we do get a return to anyway, that because I do want to see more dynamic stuff happen with keys, that'd be fun. Yeah, it's it's not bad as is. It just could have been amazing. Exactly. A big thing in this is they also did a lot of um, stuff with the geometry of like when they place locations. There's a lot of it was like oh stuff that's adjacent to it is connected instead of using connection icons. Yeah. Which is cool. It allowed for a lot more dynamic board setup. Like there was a lot more randomness in a lot of the, the scenarios. Like five or six of the scenarios, it was like basically pretty random on like where the tile tunnels were or where different locations you needed were. And I think that worked for the most part. Uh, I'm mostly mad that it randomly wasn't in the layer of Dagon. I didn't like the randomness that much. I think it works well for some scenarios, but there's a risk that they have to make everything kind of too modular so it fits together in any order, so you don't have locations that really stand out as being unique as much. But I do like, you know, you don't realize until you play Innsmouth for a while and then you go back to play an earlier campaign, you realize how much mental effort it is to keep track of the symbols on locations to see which ones are adjacent to which. Yeah. Adjacent to which. And uh, I mean, not that that's a necessarily a bad thing, but it's just interesting that you, it's so much simpler just to see where things are when it's just an orthogonal grid. Yeah, I mean, we always try to lay out the locations like so they're connected by stuff that's next to each other, but you can't always do that. And yeah, this this makes it makes it nice and clean. It's very clear where stuff's connected and stuff just by looking. So that 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 is good. 
I still hated the title tunnels being in like five of the scenarios just because did you did you hate that more or less than you hated the unspent experience thing oh uh much less yeah Uh, (laughs) i hate i hated unspent i like the concept of unspent experience because it's like oh you can't spend this experience yet because we're flashing back to the past where you haven't learned this new stuff yet uh i hated that it was inconsistent in that in the second scenario where you flash back to the past you do get to spend the experience and all the other times you flash back to the past, you you don't and you have to wait. And I was infuriated by it's, this. It's annoying I don't because... Know why, I don't know why it was inconsistent like yeah, that. Yeah, the only <laughs> reason for it, I think, is just that it would feel pretty bad to like go get the Innsmouth Deluxe for people who might not have other ones. And then they're just like, nope, you can't spend your experience between these two. And it's like, what? I just, I have a level zero deck. I don't want another level zero deck. But that's fine. Even if it's your first campaign, it means you don't have to worry about doing upgrades between the first two scenarios. And, like, the second scenario can just be balanced with expecting you to have no experience. I guess. That would have been fine. I would have been perfectly okay with that. But then you couldn't, like, go on a side mission, or you couldn't, like, do other things. You're very concerned about the side missions, but I don't know how many people do side missions immediately after the first scenario. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe a lot of people do that. I I didn't care. I thought it was fine. Whatever. At least it 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 was something different. I absolutely hated it. Zero out of ten. I was mad that it was inconsistent. I'm infuriated that it was inconsistent. If it had been consistent, I would have been happy. But, like, really... Nah, it's fine. In, in terms of everything else, though, like, the other mechanics, they were kind of fine. Even the one that we had the most things to say about, which was the keys, like, it was fine. Everything else pr- worked pretty well. Yeah, I mean, it was fine or, or good, you know? Yeah, yeah. We didn't have to deal with Explorer, so, you know, that's, that's a good thing. Do you have any other random thoughts? I have a couple notes here. Like, I liked the flashbacks, maybe the Chaos Bag... I like the Shattered Memories encounter set a lot. That one was great. How it tied yeah. in with the tied in with the flashbacks too, because it was it made it so like that's the one where there's one version where if you draw the tablet, you automatically fail mm-hmm. the test and something bad happens. One for the cultist, one for the uh, the um, elder yeah. thing. That's squid. that's one of my favorite arts, Macabre Memento. Yeah, Macabre yeah. Memento had incredible Fantastic art. Fantastic. The the one with the purple bald guy with a piece of his head missing, also pretty good art. Mm. Was that the sh- was that shed memory? Something like that. Maybe yeah. it, was, it was a great it was a great encounter set anyway. Yeah, yeah. So I like that I like that one a lot, and I, I liked how it tied in with the memories because you could, if you were really scared of one of those cards, then like when you get flashback, you're like, oh, I want to get rid of the the tablet because I'm really afraid of the tablet encounter set. And we see that so much. Yeah. So I kind I like that interaction for when you do replays. Not as effective in the blind playthrough, but still pretty cool. I also liked a lot of the encounter sets had very cool. Uh, descriptive names or not encounter sets the encounter cards like the syzygy like title alignment uh, fractured memory a lot, a lot of just like cool descriptive terms so i always like that usually there's like one per campaign that's like a really cool word to say when it cops out but it did a good job here uh and and of course we have to mention syzygy uh the famous math uh encounter card <laughs> which is well math or astronomy but either way we we enjoyed that yeah so we, I think in the past when we've done sort of a final review of a new campaign, we've gone around and each of us has shared uh, something that we liked about it and something that we didn't like about it. Should we do that again, maybe? Yeah. I guess uh, I'll, I'll, start, I'll start with something that I didn't like that much and go from negative to positive. I think that uh, we've talked a little bit about some of the scenarios felt kind of samey just because they shared some of the same mechanics. For me, that was especially true in the last three scenarios which were all just kind of you're hanging out in an aquatic location, collecting keys, dealing with fish people, 
um, those just kind of blur together in my mind. And they also, it felt like they were kind of easy. Although to be fair, I, I think it, it's unclear how much of that was just, we ended up with a very, very strong group and we were playing on standard mode. I, I don't think hard mode would have been that much harder, but I felt like I wish the ending of the campaign had had slightly more distinct scenarios from each other and maybe it'd been a little bit harder, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to drag it too much. I feel like we also had like 50 or 60 experience by the end. Which definitely it was makes a lot. A difference, yeah, I think. it was a lot. We were blasting delves a lot in the early scenarios. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, for something that I liked, um, this is this is going to sound like I'm damning it with faint praise, and I swear that's not the case. But the art was just really good. Yeah, uh, I just the art was really really interesting. There were different different artists kind of had a different style or a different take on it, but it somehow fit together really well. Um, just really a plus job, and I, I I'm very disappointed that we. This is something that we haven't gotten a chance, or at least I haven't had a chance to play with physical cards yet, because I always appreciate the art a lot more when I can actually look at a physical card. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of really good, like, they make use of, like, all the uniqueness you get out of the ocean life, and Mm. what a weird fish we got there. (laughs) Yeah, it's so cool. Do some deep pulls in that, so it's pretty pretty great. Uh, I guess I mentioned a couple things I didn't like already. Uh, One I haven't mentioned is... I felt like most of the scenarios had a very high doom threshold. Yeah, absolutely. There was definitely a couple that were tight, like the first one in Horror and High Gear. Oh, and maybe the third one, mostly because you're trying to get all the keys and all the flashbacks. But the other like four or five kind of felt like we had a lot of time left over. And even with Ancient Evils going off, um, or I think we usually ward those as much as possible, but even if they had gone off, we still would have had like five or plus turns left over by the end. But maybe that's just because we play a 3-4 player, we have a little bit more room, we have a lot more actions we can use more efficiently, and uh, we also were playing on standard, so... I subjectively agree with you, Ben, but I'm just, I'm not sure how much of this is because we just happen to have really good clue power in most of these campaigns. If we play it on hard, on hard, then we'd probably fail a few more tests, that would make it tighter, we'd maybe, you know, get hit more by enemies and whatnot, so... I think we still would have, we still would have had time to spare, though. And I mean, in hard mode, like sometimes the spooky tokens like always do their bad thing when you draw them, as opposed to just when you fail, which can can make a big difference. I don't know if they're. I, ha- I haven't looked through the cards yet for this campaign. In, in so. this campaign, they mostly didn't. I know the the a lot of them or some of the scenarios had a cultist adds a doom or something if you fail, and I flipped it over to check, and it's not like an automatic doom even if you pass on the other side. It's just a worse modifier. Oh, okay. Uh, what I like so. I do like the story text. Uh, I didn't like how it kind of interrupted the flow sometimes, but overall, I liked the story of this campaign a lot. I liked the timeline flashbacks, flashing forward and back, and trying to piece together your memories. I'm always, I always love that stuff uh, in TV shows and movies, like trying to solve the mystery. It kind of, it kind of felt like we were trying to solve a mystery. I don't know if the ultimate mystery was super, was the most interesting. <laughs> I liked the um, the journey, so I definitely liked that a lot, and I thought. Some the mechanics kind of tied in well with like learning new information and like depending on like what you remember doing in the past, it affected like the present scenarios. So I thought that was pretty cool. I think for me, the thing I didn't like uh, was the repetition of things. Um, like maybe everything we said, um, I was I was kind of more fine with some of the mechanics, but like the keys, the title tunnels, I kind of wish there was maybe even just like one more set of locations in the title tunnels and would have maybe spruced it up or like had had a some different variants there but really 
for me, that's that's kind of like the, the peak of my critique for this. I, I, I actually really enjoyed the Ian Smith conspiracy. And like for something that I that really stood out to me was like the the variety of scenario settings. I think that the first one, you're in this kind of grungy cave and you don't really know what's going on and it portrayed it pretty well. The second one is like this really cool like murder mystery sort of clue thing, which hasn't really ever been done before, which is surprising because we've had like five cycles of stuff to... to you would think there would be something that would be, uh, you know, walked back over or, or redone or whatever. But all of them felt pretty different. And I think that that was sort of a, a kind of a, a byproduct of, of bigger maps allowing new things to happen, like barriers, barricades in the second or the third one, vehicles happening in the fourth and fifth one felt pretty, pretty new because you're on a boat in the fourth one and on a, in a car driving fast in a straight line for the fifth one. All of them had like very different things happening. I just wish that the encounter sets allowed maybe a little bit for more interaction with each of the different places. Um, even the the last few felt pretty cool and, and different for me anyway. Um, so I like that. I like the variety of, of settings and, and ways that they injected the lore into it. So there's a lot of campaigns now. Um, so it's getting kind of hard for me to mentally rank each campaign every time we do a new one. Where do you guys think this place? Do you think this is kind of a, a top tier uh, campaign, like up there with like Carcosa, or do you think it's uh, one of the lesser ones? Like Dunwich. Yeah, like Dunwich. For for me, I think that this probably ranks up up, up with the higher ones. For me, uh, Path to Carcosa and Circle and Dun are probably my, my two all-time favorites. And this is definitely right up there. I think that this is going to also get better... Uh, like like kind of age like a fine wine I'll f- i feel like i'll like appreciate it more like all the different things happening in it more because there's no like weird prologue i have to do at the beginning or like any like weird like oh look you're in the jungle and getting murdered by a lot of things now you know like it, it's just a very straight up good arkham experience from a to z and i enjoy that a lot i think for me uh so like like dane you know carcosa and circle are my favorites so far for me, this slots in below those, kind of in the middle. Um, I, I I did enjoy it. I think on balance, I'm I'm kind of like putting it somewhere near Dreamlands, uh, above Dunwich and Forgotten Age, and I think um, I think that Dreamlands had at least two scenarios: Search for Kadath and Where the Gods Dwell, that I think were better than any of these scenarios in Innsmouth. I'd agree with that. But Innsmouth was maybe a little bit more consistent, and it's definitely the most X Files ass campaign that we've had so far. It was extremely X Files in theme and setting and everything, uh, and uh, that's enough to nudge it for me up to maybe a little bit a little bit ahead of Dreamlands, Dream Eaters. So for me, Carcosa is still near the top. Uh, I like Dreamlands A a lot more than Dreamlands B. Definitely. I think I might have liked this a little bit more than the Circle Undone, but. I'm a little worried about replayability wise. I think there's a lot less paths. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. In this one compared to like Circle and Dun, because Circle and Dun has like the Witch Path or the Brotherhood Path. Even Forgotten Age has like Ichchaka versus Alejandro versus all your on your own. This one has like you get the flashbacks or you don't get the flashbacks. Yeah, it's it's not like you want to go back and try to do it again, getting some smaller subset of the flashbacks. You ideally want to get all of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and even if you don't get them, I think it mostly just like makes scenarios a little bit harder, or you have a slightly different story. Like I don't think there's like a big branching path. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm missing something there. But uh, I think most scenarios are pr- 
pretty similar depending on which flashbacks you get. I mean, the stuff interacting with um with the friendly kraken that might be like one of the key ones where it changes the scenarios a little bit differently because you can't either can't, if you don't remember fighting it, then I think you can't kill it, and then if you don't kill it, you uh, have it show up in the road chase. And also another but one too. I think for the most part, I think it makes an appearance in Layer Big on, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, does it? I forgot to check that. So I don't know if there's as much replayability, but for now, I I think I rank it up there with with close to Carcosa and Dreamlands A. So pretty good campaign overall. Definitely had a good time. I mean, I played it like three times already and, and enjoyed it every time. Uh, all my replays, I'm always have to have to be quiet and not tell the new person playing to keep to get rid of those cultists. And every time they keep them, and then I'm sad. It's a pretty good campaign overall. I don't know. Fun a tier fishy times. It's a uh, it's it's better down where it's wetter under the sea <laughs> for, for for you and me. And that's all. And that's all. What was everybody else's experience with the incident of the conspiracy? Who else is? Happy to be done with drawing Deep One Bowl. I guess until the next time you play. Let us know your thoughts. Come hang out with us on Discord. Reach out to us on Facebook, Reddit, or Instagram. Or email us at comments at mur.fm. Also, we've resurrected our Twitter at MUR Podcast. So come tweet. Uh, I guess like birds do. I don't really know <laughs> I don't really know what, what Twitter is yet, but I will get there. It's mostly a thing where people uh, get mad at each other and then get mad that they're mad at each other and then so on forever. Oh, okay. Seems Great. legit. People can use I'm it excited to, to be there. To tweet tweet at Dan about whatever hot take he has that they disagree with. Hell so, yeah. That's good. Do it. Tweet at me about uh, kung fu movies and uh, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> well, if you really love our show too and you want to get more involved, join us on patreon.com slash University Radio to get access to exclusive Discord channels and other fun stuff. Or just leave us a nice review on your favorite podcasting network. Thanks for listening, everybody. Be safe, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.